listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, today we are continuing with a man that I think in a lot of ways seems to fit a lot of these in the name of Abraham. It's this series of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What I love about this series is that it's not so much about them, but it's who their God is. And we're going to see this today. So last week, we left off in Genesis chapter 17. And we saw in that passage of the covenant being reconfirmed with circumcision and Abraham and his household where God changed their names to give them new identities. And Isaac's birth is promised. In fact, that is when God actually then gives them a time frame. It's been 24 years since God called Abraham and they've waited that long. I can't think of anything I had to wait for 24 years for. And God finally says this time next year. Well, then in chapters 18 and 19, what is happening are these two major events in the life of Abraham. Abraham is sitting out uh, inside his tent and these men approach and we learn that these were angels sent by God that come to Abraham and promise him a child within a year. You remember what Sarah does? She laughs. She's like, God, I'm so old. He's even older. There's no way this could happen. Well, then the story happens with Sodom and Gomorrah. Wretched wretched places. And Abraham goes and he intercedes for Lot who is saved out of Sodom and Gomorrah and God rains down sulfur and fire to destroy those places. So now we're in chapter 20. But let me set the stage to think about what Abraham has seen and heard God do. In Genesis 12, he calls, God calls him out of Ur and takes him to Haran where he receives the promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm, through you, I'm going to bless all people. I'm going to make your name great. He heard God tell him this. Well, then there's a famine. And they go down to Egypt. After that, they make their way north to a place named Hageb. And here's where Abraham uh, goes up against Lot in a way. The herds are growing and they're running out of room and Abraham lets Lot choose first. What does Lot do? He picks the prime location. But we see through that story that even though Lot got the prime spot, Abraham watches God bless him over and over and over again. Then in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham in a vision and he cuts the covenant with him and carries him through, telling him, I'm making this covenant. I am the one that will hold this together. Then Genesis 17, the Lord appears to him again. The covenant of circumcision. And God changes his names and he says, Abraham, this time next year, you will have a son and you will call him Isaac. Then in chapter 19, he watches God rain down sulfur and fire from heaven to destroy these wretched places that would not turn and repent. And as I read through this, I read these stories and these examples, and if that doesn't build your faith in God, I don't know what will. 
He has heard God. He has seen him do these incredible things. In a lot of ways, Abraham is this man that seems to have this towering faith. I mean, he lets Lot choose the land. He sees his faith in God's provision. Oh, there's a story where he goes out and he rescues Lot from this coalition of kings. And he sees and he has faith in God's protection. He pleads for Sodom and he, Lot's life is saved. And he has faith in God's mercy and his judgment. And what a man of towering faith. And I go, if there really is any superheroes, man, that, man, that is who I want to be. Then you get to chapter 20. I imagine Abraham looking down from heaven today going, God, why in the world did you leave this in here? Of all the things you could say about me, this is what you have left in. And here we go into chapter 20. Because just when you think Abraham has got this towering faith, you're going to see him not at his best. But this is what I love about God's word is God's word doesn't shield us from these. And I think this is one of the things I love about Bethel and this campus. Is this is a place where nobody has to pretend. Man, this is a place where you may walk in one week and you've had this amazing week and your faith has grown and your, your faith is towering and you just feel so strong in things. Or it may be a week where things haven't gone well, your faith is fragile. And I hope this is always the place that we can be who we are. We are sinners saved by grace, nothing more. And some weeks are different than others because that is what you see with Abraham. Because go to chapter 20. Let's begin in verse 1. From there, speaking of Egypt, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negev. And he lived between Kadesh and Shur. And then he sojourned to Gerar. So I want to show you a map because this is going to be intriguing. At least I hope it is. It was to me. You can see where he begins in Ur. And God takes him up to Haran where he gives him the promise. And then he makes his journey south. And he eventually ends in Egypt. From Egypt, he then backtracks up to, you can see there, Hebron. And you can see Jerusalem. Below that is Gaza. And this is where Abraham is right now. He goes to the king of Gerar. And notice as they enter this place, they're going to run to the king. And in verse 2, notice how Abraham, the towering man of faith, introduces his wife, Sarah, now. And Abraham Instead of Sarah, his wife, that's important, she is my sister. And all of a sudden, this towering man of faith, of faith gives a bold face lie. He just lies straight through his teeth. This towering man, he says, she is my sister. And maybe you could understand this if they were just dating and they didn't have the DTR yet. But they have been married for years he says, she is my sister. But here's what's even more amazing. This is not the first time Abraham does this. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, when they're down in Egypt, when they come into the place, he says he fears for his life. And he goes to Sarah and he says, tell everyone that you are my sister. So she brought into Pharaoh's harem. But before anything can happen, God brings plagues Upon Pharaoh's family. Pharaoh then goes. Asks what have you done? Says take Sarah your wife. And leave. Get out of here. I don't want any 
part of this. But then notice, you would think Abraham's learned his lesson to trust God, but Abimelech does just as Pharaoh had. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. So he brings her in, but before something can happen, instead of bringing plagues, notice what happens in verse 3. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. God wakes you up from a dead sleep, and he says to you, you are a dead man. Now, I noticed, I think he actually has Abimelech's attention at this point. He wakes you up and you hear God say, Abimelech, in a dream by night, he said, Behold, you are a dead man. Because of the woman you have taken, she is a man's wife. Now, I imagine God has Abimelech's undivided attention. What is interesting is the next section is I want you to notice who is actually the one that is living righteously. And Abimelech, a pagan Canaanite king, had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is, he, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes. I know that you have done this with the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now you would expect it to be this Abraham, this man of towering faith, to be the one that is living righteously. Instead, we see it's a pagan Canaanite king is the one that is living rightly before the Lord because this is what Abraham told him. This is what Sarah told him. He looks at him. She has no children. What is he to think? God then tells this king what to do in verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he, speaking of Abraham, is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech has to go to this man that has lied and deceived him and ask him to pray for him. Imagine this had to blow Abimelech's mind. Like, what are you talking about? He lied to me. He deceived me. And now I have to go to him and have him pray for me so that I don't die. But that's what he does. Imagine how difficult it must have been for this king to wrap his mind around this. In verse 8, so Abimelech goes early in the morning. He calls in all his servants and he told them all that had happened. And the men were very much afraid. So what does he do? He calls in Abraham. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and he said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech is 100% right. All I could think about all week long was the pet shop boys. What have you done to deserve this? What have I done? And he's asking, what have I done to deserve this? What did I ever do to you? And Abraham responds. But notice 
what he's going to say, the excuses he's going to throw, he says, I did it because I thought. He had this preconceived idea of who Abimelech was. For there was no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. And Abraham was absolutely wrong. Besides, and here's the excuse, she indeed is my sister. The daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So he's saying, you know, it's really not all that wrong. I mean, I didn't fully lie. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house. So now he's even blaming God. Well, God's the one made me wonder what in the world was I to do. And at every place to which we come, you say to me, he is my brother. So once again, Abraham is fearing for his own personal safety. He is totally wrong about this king. Abimelech, the pagan Canaanite king, actually is acting more righteous than Abraham. And if that's not mind-boggling enough, I want us to see what this pagan Canaanite king, I want us to see that he is not just acting more righteous than Abraham. It gets even crazier. He is about to show us an extreme picture of grace. Because you remember what God told Abimelech to do? Go, give her back, and then ask him to pray for you. That is it. That is all God tells Abimelech to do. But notice what he does in verse 14. Then Abimelech, he took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham. He returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, get this, my land is before you. Dwell wherever it pleases you. And to Sarah he said, and I love this, and behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It was a sign of innocence in the eyes of all who were with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. I go, what in the world? A man and his wife deceive you. You're sound asleep at night, peacefully sleeping in a dream. God comes to you and says, you are a dead man because of what you've done. And you, you don't have any idea that you've done anything wrong. So Abraham lies to him. He then has to turn around and he asks Abraham to pray for him. And then he gives Abraham sheep and oxen and servants. Gives him a thousand pieces of silver. And then he says, all of this land is mine Go pick a place for you to dwell. Abraham is actually the one that ends up being blessed and shown favor. The Abraham, he is not the one who is acting righteously. He is not the one that is showing integrity. What Abraham did was absolutely selfish. But Abimelech responds with absolute generosity and grace. So notice how this section ends. And then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and their female slaves, so that they bore children. God had closed up their wombs. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So when we're reading through this 
series, Abraham is often this man of towering faith. You see it over and over again. We saw it in Genesis 15 where it simply says that he took God at his word. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I think we can learn so much of Abraham's faith. And we're going to see it played out in more and more ways of how he is continuing to trust God. But I love this. It's not just in Abraham being this towering man of faith that God gives us things to think about in lessons. It's also in his absolute failures. Go to Genesis 16 where Abraham fails with Hagar. We can learn from that failure. We see it in Genesis 12 where they go to Egypt and they lied about who they were. And now again in Genesis 20 because they were afraid that we get to even learn from their failures. So here are three things that I've been thinking a lot of what I wanted to take from this this week. The first thing is this, is that sin is so much more than just making bad decisions. That sin is this thing that we do that jeopardizes or attempts to jeopardize God's plan for our lives. I mean, God had a plan for Abraham. He promised that he would give him a son through Sarah. And through him, he would be the father of many nations and make his name great. So Abraham didn't just simply die or lie. It was an attempt to jeopardize God's plan. Whether Abraham realized that or not. God has promised me that, and you as believers, that he has a plan and he calls it our sanctification. That sin is not just making bad decisions. That sin is trying to sabotage that plan. The second thing that to me is so amazing that shows the power of God to me is that God's ability to use even our sins for his purpose. It doesn't say go out and do what you want and God is going to work it out. But God is so powerful, he's so amazing that he even uses our sins to bring about his purposes. Because let me show you this map again. Remember the first time Abraham lied? You notice where they were? They're in Egypt. When it comes out, the plagues happen. He sends Sarah back and he just says, Abraham, get out of here. And they leave. Then he goes up to this place called the Hebron, the, the, over there, the Gaza. Notice Jerusalem is right in there. And he goes to him and he gives him sheep and oxen and servants. And then what does Abimelech do? He says, in my kingdom, pick a place for you to live. He doesn't just simply tell him to leave. But you know what? After this, God gives Abraham Isaac. And then God gives Isaac Jacob. Jacob then has his name changed to Israel. That God is planting Abraham in the promised land. They're in Canaan. This is the land. In order to get them there, he even uses Abraham's failures because they're given land to dwell. And that is where we begin seeing God building his people. That even though Abraham distrusts and he lies, that God is still working in and through that. That we are to see if all of God's plans and his master program are simply left in the hands of people, it will never work. But to me, this third one is the one that I, I just can't get past thinking about. 
that when I read through this example, this is what I see. is that God is more committed to his promises to us than we could ever be to him. That Abraham's unfaithfulness could not and it would not stop God from fulfilling his promise and his covenant. And we see that over and over again. That God is more committed to the promises he makes than we could ever be committed to him. And here's why to me this is such amazing news. Did you know that God has made some promises to everyone? In Romans 13, he has made this promise for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. This is a promise you can trust. And God is going to be more committed to that promise than you ever will be. It's not a matter of how much faith or even how much you believe that the promise is true. And God is more committed to that than you or I ever could be. He promises in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God is going to be more committed to that promise than anyone ever could. But when those things happen, when we call upon the name of the Lord and we look to him to forgiveness of sins, it opens up a floodgate of more and more promises. Ephesians 1 promises us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. John 14 tells us that we will have the Spirit in us to guide and to lead us. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. John 10, we have the promise of eternal life. Philippians 4, that God will supply all of our needs. 1 Corinthians 10, he promises a way out of temptation. 1 Thessalonians 4, that God will sanctify us. Jude, we're promised that he will present us blameless. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Peter 3, Romans, Revelation 19, we're promised that Jesus will return. And the list goes on and on and on. And the great news is, is that God is more committed to these promises than you and I ever will be. And I think this is what makes that such a great hope. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.